This week, wave of bankruptcies continue as Centric Brands, Acorn, and Gavilan Resources file for Chapter 11. More on all this and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skeldon. And I'm Raksha Majanath. Later, Sean Daly returns with a look at how COVID-19 has affected bankruptcy plans over the prior couple of weeks. It's Sunday, May 24th. Centric Brands, a New York City-based distributor of licensed and private label kidswear accessories and men's and women's apparel, filed for Chapter 11 on Monday in the Southern District of New York following entry into a restructuring support agreement that contemplates the conversion of more than $700 million of funded debt into equity and emergence as a private company. Quote, Substantially all of the company's secured lenders led by certain funds managed by Blackstone, Ares, and HPS are signatories to the RSA. Certain pre-petition creditors have committed to providing dip financing of up to $435 million, consisting of a $160 million multi-draw term loan and an asset-based RCF in an amount not to exceed $275 million, with all of the proposed dip lenders also having entered into the RSA. Under the RSA, first lien term lenders have agreed to convert their pre-petition first lien term loans into the exit first lien term loan facility. Certain pre-petition second lien term lenders would provide up to $160 million in term loan dip financing, while certain first lien ABL lenders would provide a $275 million revolving dip facility, under which all outstanding obligations would be rolled up and $10 million of incremental liquidity would be available upon entry of the interim order. These dip claims would convert into a new first lien revolving loan facility on emergence. In addition to receiving their exit first lien term loan claims, holders of pre-petition first lien claims would receive their pro rata share of 30% of the equity in the reorganized company, subject to dilution by a management incentive plan. Holders of the pre-petition secured second lien claims would receive their pro rata share of 70% of the equity in the reorganized company, also subject to dilution, provided that the portion of second lien claims that are deficiency claims would be grouped with general unsecured claims, which would receive as yet unspecified treatment. At the first day hearing, debtors' counsel said that after the debtors' entry into the restructuring support agreement with most of their secured creditors, Centric is now, quote, very far along on the drafting of a plan and disclosure statement. The debtors hope to file these documents within a week, debtors' counsel remarked. Acorn Inc., a Lake Forest-based specialty pharmaceutical company that develops and manufactures generic and branded prescription drugs, branded and private label over-the-counter consumer health products, and animal health pharmaceuticals, filed for Chapter 11 protection on Tuesday night in the District of Delaware. The debtors filed for Chapter 11 with an RSA in hand, entered into the holders of more than 75% in principal amount of the debtors' term loans. According to a press release issued by the company late Wednesday evening, these lenders will collectively serve as a stocking horse bidder in the company's post-petition sale process. With a credit bid valued at approximately $1.05 billion as the expected closing of the sale, and provide for a $30 million dip facility to fund the debtors' business operations during the Chapter 11 process. The debtors aim to emerge from Chapter 11 by the quote, end of summer. According to the first day declaration of CFO Duane Portwood, the debtors, quote, expect to file the plan and DS contemplated by the RSA in the coming days. Only Acorn and each of its U.S. subsidiaries have filed for Chapter 11. The company's entities in India and Switzerland are not included in the Chapter 11 filing. 
Portrait stated that as a result of a, quote, ongoing operational turnaround and industry tailwinds that are supportive of the generic manufacturers, litigation and debt service headwinds, quote, continue to undermine the company's performance. The debtors and their advisors, Portwood states, have worked tirelessly to file alternatives but ultimately determined that the, quote, only viable course of action was to commence the Chapter 11 cases and pursue the sale of the company through an in-court process. Gavilan Resources LLC, a Houston-based E&P formed by BlackRock to partner with Sanchez Energy for the purchase and operation of the Comanche assets in the Eagle Ford Shale, filed late last Friday for Chapter 11 with approximately $552 million of debt. The company attributed the filing to the collapse in oil prices resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic and the Saudi-Russia price war, and CEO David Roberts in his first day declaration also focused on Gavilan's joint operator relationship with Sanchez, stating that since the fall of 2018, the debtors have been, quote, entangled in an increasingly unworkable relationship with Sanchez. Robert said the contention was, quote, brought on by, among other things, Sanchez's own financial difficulties, with the dispute stemming from, quote, Sanchez's defaults under the party's joint development agreement, or JDA, governing the management and operations of the Comanche assets. This dispute is currently being litigated in the Sanchez Energy Chapter 11 cases. At a hearing on Friday, parties continued to contest the interpretation of and the impacts of alleged events of default under the party's JDA governing the assets. Trial is set to resume on Tuesday, May 26th. Gavilan has filed an emergency motion to lift the automatic stay in its own Chapter 11 cases to the extent necessary to proceed with the litigation in the Sanchez cases. Gavilan's first day papers restate its position in the Comanche operatorship dispute that Sanchez was in default under the JDA for months for, quote, two independent reasons, namely deviating from a well-completion plan and refusing to honor Gavilan's contractual right under the JDA to divide operatorship before filing its Chapter 11 cases in August of last year. As a result, Gavilan asserts that Sanchez lost the right to serve as operator of the Comanche assets and that those rights should be transferred to Gavilan. Gavilan states that the right to operatorship of the Comanche assets is a valuable asset of the debtor's estates and that Gavilan, quote, intends to vigorously pursue those rights as part of its own sales and restructuring efforts. Gavilan adds that the timing of its Chapter 11 filing, quote, was made sufficiently in advance of the continued hearings on the operatorship dispute so as not to jeopardize the trial dates and to protect Gavilan from any potential efforts by Sanchez to further delay the resolution of this matter. On the island of Puerto Rico, on Monday, the official committee of unsecured creditors filed a response to the Promesa Oversight Board's May 15th PREPA status report and the Commonwealth's May 1st COVID-19-related status report calling for the court to terminate the PREPA RSA 1919 motion and lift the stay to allow the UCC to proceed with its GO bond priority challenge. According to the response, the PREPA status report, quote, calls into serious question the continuing effectiveness of settlement that forms the basis of the proposed PREPA restructuring, as embodied in the PREPA RSA. The response further highlights various statements by PREPA Executive Director Jose Ortiz supporting the UCC's assertion that the PREPA RSA is, quote, no longer viable and that no hearing on the current PREPA 1919 motion will ever take place. The UCC maintains that the, quote, fundamental premise of the court's decision to terminate the UCC's objection to the PREPA bondholders' claims a proposed settlement of the challenges to the PREPA bond claims, is no longer present. 
In their May 15th status report, the PROMISA Oversight Board and PREPA maintained that all briefing and hearing deadlines related to the 1919 motion should continue to be adjourned, quote, to allow the government parties to focus on addressing those complex and important issues and gaining better visibility into their impact on the power sector in Puerto Rico. The government parties also proposed to submit a further status report on July 31st, quote, to apprise the court of PREPA's financial situation at that time and propose next steps regarding the 1919 motion and the adversary proceedings. Other top stories last week were, drafted like high-yield bond, Cirque du Soleil first lien credit agreement creates more value leakage risk than traditional leveraged loan agreements, even after recent IP transfer. Under RSA, Exide aims to sell off all assets in Chapter 11 with no intent to emerge as a reorganized business. $40 million dip, cash collateral would carry business through mid-August. And Hertz issues consent solicitation for 2021-2023 euro notes, note holders working with Kirkland and Ellis Rothschild. Now here is Jim Holloway from Houston with the week ahead. Well, thank you, Raksha. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the summer of 2020, of which more later. Monday is, of course, Memorial Day, which has its origins in my part of the world, as it happens. But the business of America being business, in the words of the dour Mr. Coolidge of the Granite State, I guess the idea now is to hit the Walmart early for that widescreen, or maybe that's what you do on July 4th. I don't know. Never mind. So let's talk Tuesday, the 26th of May, which features hearings from J. Crew, Highland Capital, and PG&E. There's also something called a mo- Motion to compel hearing in Dean Foods. Sounds sinister. Hope it works out for the parties involved. Anyways, on to Wednesday, May 27th, which, adi- which in addition, excuse me, to Bonavista Energy reaching the end of its forbearance, features at least 25 billable hour events, including Diamond Offshore Second Day, DS Hearing in Jimboree, Confirmation Hearing in PG&E, Status Quo Motion Hearing in WeWork versus SoftMag. Uh, I assume someone has optioned the film rights to that saga. I bet you it's bound to be funnier than Tiger King. There's also a whole lot of omnibuses, including OneWeb, Ruby's, Brookstone, McDermott, and Stage Stores. Thursday, May 28th, more of the same, only a little less of it, but have no fear. The legal cash registers will be chinging away with the cash collateral and dip motion hearing for Gold's Gym, motion to dismiss hearing in Sun Edison, status conference in J.C. Pinion for the millions of admirers of administrative processes in the Golden State. Fear not, the CPUC is having a voting meeting related to PG&E. Early and often, just like in Chicago, folks, don't forget that. Anyways, on to Friday, we got a hearing in Pier 1, oral arguments in Ultra P, and a few other things for which I direct you to our weekly forward, which is released every Monday morning at 7 a.m. And now before I hand it over to my friend and colleague Sean Daly, I'll notice that Sean advised me that he was jittying, so to speak, out to the Hamptons this weekend. Sean, you may want to pack your bag of groceries as I hear the shelves at Shiavoni's, that place in Sag Harbor or Mauritius or wherever it is, has been emptied by plutocrats who are waiting out to current trouble and their single, shingle-sided Cape Cod land yachts. They're probably storyboarding the eighth remake of some superhero movie. Thanks very much for that. Anyway, Sean, I'd probably avoid the Park Slope Food Co-op. A little slice of 1968 in that well-known neighborhood of mansions where gilded agers once removed themselves to avoid the seething masses. Sort of like the Hamptons today. I'm hearing there's lines around the block. Anyway, safe travels, and Sean, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. 
Well, at least as of Thursday evening, the King Cullen in Bridgehampton was still relatively well stocked, though you might have to wait in line outside. That includes the meat department, though Bobby Vans is doing takeout, if that's more your speed. Coronavirus-related bankruptcy filings seem to have picked up over the last two weeks, with the latest major casualty uh, being car rental company Hertz, which filed certain of its U.S. and Canadian subsidiaries on Friday night. The company put out a nice, concise press release with the filing that sort of runs through the situation, I think, in a, in a nice way. Obviously, they note that the coronavirus has severely and quickly impacted travel demand, um, which resulted in an abrupt decline in the company's revenue and future bookings. It walks through the uh, panoply of cost-cutting measures that the company took to uh, try to meet those lower levels of demand, including reduced planned fleet levels through vehicle sales and by canceling fleet orders, consolidating off-airport rental locations, though uh, airport locations count for, I think it's approximately two-thirds of the company's business, they deferred some capex and cut marketing spend and furloughed or laid off uh, approximately 50% of their global workforce. The company notes, however, that, quote, uncertainty remains as to when revenue will return and when the used car market will fully reopen for sales. Uh, the company is highly dependent on uh, its ability to resell used cars, so that market is facing its own challenges and adds a, a little additional layer of, of cyclicality on top of, of the business. While the company has approximately $3 billion in corporate debt, its total debt load of just under $19 billion is driven by vehicle-backed securitizations. So if you like the intersection of bankruptcy and ABS, uh, now's your time. Moving on to uh, funding, dip, cash collateral concerns, uh, the CARES Act, funding available under the CARES Act continues to impact cases in a variety of ways uh, over the last two weeks. So a few more examples of Chapter 11 debt debtors either receiving funds or at least clearing the path to receive funds. Raven Air Group announced earlier this week that it had been conditionally approved by Treasury to seek certain CARES Act grants. And the debtors note that uh, those funds could be the difference between liquidation and a going concern sale, so a, a big deal. Some Chapter 11 debtors have also been successful in obtaining Small Business Association Paycheck Protection Program funding, uh, despite guidance from the agency that uh, to be eligible you could not be in Chapter 11, so people are, are persisting. Um, in their request, and certain certain debtors have received funding in their Chapter 11 cases. Others have actually dismissed their cases in an effort to seek funding and um, maybe fall or, or just remove that question about eligibility concerns. In Quorum Health, uh, discussed briefly in, in prior weeks, Judge Karen Owens last Friday granted equity holder Mudrick Capital Management's motion to adjourn the confirmation hearing by just under a month after raising concerns that the debtors were slow playing or uh, playing hide the ball with the amount of certain CARES Act disbursements that they had received. One of the major contentions was that the debtors had not uh, acknowledged the receipt in approximately $70 million in CARES Act grants at the final dip hearing earlier in May, even though 
the debtor's CFO and CRO had been advised of the receipt of those funds prior to the hearing. Uh, Judge Owens said that she didn't think the newly revealed information would have materially altered her ruling on the dip, but she concluded that uh, adjournment to permit additional discovery would be appropriate nonetheless. Debtors' counsel, and this, I thought this was a good point, debtors' counsel emphasized that um, certain CARES Act funds come with restrictions. Uh, they cannot, quote, create equity value where none exists. Just a, a good reminder when you're analyzing CARES Act funding to distinguish between um, what may be a forgivable grant versus a, a loan. Another funding issues uh, moving into discussion of some cash collateral and dip financing trends. Generally, uh, we've seen a few more cases recently where debtors are only seeking authority to use cash collateral at the first day hearing and deferring approval of a dip to a later hearing. One way to look at that fact pattern is to say it's good, just good defensive dip lending if the company has at least some cash on hand and there's continued uncertainty about the magnitude of, of cash burn or funding requirements. Hold off on that dip until you have to fund. Uh, so Hertz filed um, noting that they had over a billion dollars of cash on hand but no additional dip financing. Uh, this pattern of seeking cash collateral use on the first day, but holding off a dip until later, uh, although driven by different case-specific reasons, of course, we've seen in OneWeb, IntelSat, JCPenney, technically Frontier as well, but that's not a, a corona-driven case. At the JCPenney first day hearing, this was interesting, debtors' counsel said that uh, the proposed dip lenders had wanted to seek approval of the dip, $900 million overall, 450 new money, 225 of the new money would be um, available on uh, initial approval of the facility, and then there would be a, a delayed draw later um, based on certain additional case milestones, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but what's interesting is the the debtors said the dip lenders had wanted to seek approval of, of the dip and uh, part of the roll-up component on the first day of the case, but that the debtors had wanted a, a smoother entry into the case and had negotiated to push out dip approval to a later date and in exchange paid certain commitment fees pre-petition. Um, if you're keeping track of, of fees comps, there were some nice ones here ultimately worked out to 10% of the new money commitments, um, and the debtors paid those immediately pre-petition. So it's, what's a little interesting about this case is that if you have a dip ABL, you may get a, a creeping roll-up on the first day, uh, but this dip is a delayed draw term loan structure. Uh, so it's just interesting. You, do, you don't often see roll-ups on the first day, or at least it's something that, that can be contested. Um, but you know, again, if you're if you're the dip lenders and you're asking for that um, query, whether they may have included in their their comp set or their argument that they wanted it, uh, the Speedcast case, also in Southern District of Texas, um, in late April, where Judge Isger sort of grudgingly approved a roll up on the first day and said, you know, I hope I don't see this in future cases, but um, once it's once it's out there, you can you can sort of cite to it. Uh, relatedly, this, this comes up in JCPenney 
as well, um, but just generally a few other cases, uh, looking at milestones, case controls on uh, further multiple delayed draws from dip facilities, sort of interesting in light of all of this uncertainty about continued rates of cash burn. Uh, permitted budget variances, I, I think, is something interesting to watch going forward under dips, uh, you know, particularly in the context of retail. Obviously, the, the holiday season is the is the big time of year, perhaps, to worry about this, but, uh, you know, you, you significantly miss a dip budget, uh, and then perhaps that triggers an event of default and maybe a, a liquidation instead of a, a going concern. Speaking of liquidating retailers, uh, Pier 1 announced this week that it was abandoning going concern reorganization efforts, and instead it would be winding down and selling certain assets, including intellectual property and the e-commerce business. That's all for the legal recap this week. Back to you, Connor. Thanks, team. And thank you for listening to another review here. Find all of our podcasts, as always, on the reorg.com media page, iTunes, or SoundCloud. We wish you and your families are healthy and safe in these times, and we hope that you have a very fine Memorial Day weekend. Thanks again.